New details of the mass vaccination plan. Nobody will be left behind. The professionals pulled into duty to deliver the shots. Bad behavior by anti-maskers. When uh, police arrived, staff had already placed someone uh, somewhat under arrest and uh, we took over from there. What BC's top cop says about people who make a scene. And Tiger Woods survives a traumatic crash. It's very fortunate that Mr. Woods um, was able to uh, come out of this alive. The injuries that could end his golfing career. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The BC government is on the defensive tonight after criticism for the slow release of information about the upcoming mass vaccination program. New details are expected Monday, but as Richard Zussman reports, the Liberal opposition says the delay is adding to anxiety and confusion among British Columbians. Christine French is turning 101 in April. She lives on her own doesn't drive, and is enlisting her daughter to figure out when and where she'll get her COVID-19 vaccine. I'd just like to know when and where. They don't have an auditorium here. I don't know where to go. So that is stressing her out. The details for vaccinating those 80 years of age and older were supposed to come last week. Now those specifics won't come until next Monday. In the absence of communication, anxiety is growing. Uh, I'm being inundated with people who are asking how they can go about doing it, how they can register. Those over the age of 80 do not need to register. They'll be contacted, but many are fretting that they aren't on the list. That's why the province is using various means of communication. Whether that's uh, receiving a postcard in the mail, which some people will, um, whether it's getting uh, access through the home care services that you are being provided, whether it's through your uh, specialty clinic that you're involved with. From March 1st to 15th, the province will be providing the COVID-19 vaccine for those receiving home supports, for anyone born in 1941 and earlier. Then from March 15th till the end of the month, it will be the 80-plus category general population who can get the shot at a community clinic. The uh, approximately um, 24,000 clients uh, will be in question over the next two weeks as we prepare for the more general immunization, which will start in the middle of the month. Where those clinics will be is expected to be announced next week. Welcome news to those like French anxiously waiting. She says she doesn't want to jump the queue because she's on TV, but she said there's a lot of people in her complex that are 90 and plus, and they're all living independently, and they all need their shots. They all need to know. If French was in Alberta, she'd be eligible for the shot starting Wednesday. BC says the only reason our eastern neighbours are starting now is they have far fewer people over the age of 70. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at the provincial COVID picture now. We have 559 new cases. That brings BC's total to 77,822. There's been one more death, which means we've now lost 1,336 people to complications of the virus. 238 people are in hospital, 69 in the ICU. 71,753 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,677 active cases and 7 1,881 people in self-isolation. 224,354 doses of vaccine have now been administered in BC. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, we do have a way to go and the case numbers 
are up today. But there mm -hmm. were some positive words from Dr. Henry about where we're headed. Yeah, before we get to the positive words, we're going to look at some negative stuff because you're right. Our, our daily case average has gone up uh, to more than 500 for the first time in more than a month. That's concerning. But uh, and our hospitalization seems stable. But the active case numbers are on the rise in the areas where we saw the peak in the second wave back in December and November and January. And that's we're talking about the Fraser Health Authority. In one week, the number of active cases there has increased by 345. Vancouver Coastal, which had been flattening the curve, is not flattening it right now. There are up 187. Vancouver Island is back up, even though it was down for a while. And thankfully, the Interior and the Northern Health Authorities are starting to see a drop in the active case numbers. It was quite concerning there for a few weeks there, Sophie, as we had a number of outbreaks at First Nations communities. And even though with that negatives, though, Dr. Bonnie Henry today struck one of the more positive and optimistic tones I've seen her ever strike since this pandemic began. She says we can see ourselves coming out of the pandemic because the vaccines are on the horizon and are being administered as we speak. We are seeing our way out of this pandemic, and part of the reason that we're doing that is because we now have a really effective vaccine that works in older people, which is quite a, uh, something that those of us who have been working in immunization for many, many years are, are really uh, find um, miraculous. Well, I haven't heard the word miraculous ever, I think, before in this pandemic, Sophie. So it's very encouraging. The vaccines are starting to arrive, and literally hundreds of thousands of people will get that shot in the arm very soon. And they're looking forward to it, I'm sure. Thank you, Keith. Yeah. Mm. They can't come soon enough for some people. On Vancouver Island, a Duncan First Nation that held off the virus until this year has now already recorded four COVID-related deaths. As Cowichan tribes work to get a grip on the outbreak, its second rollout of vaccinations has been delayed until next month. Kylie Stanton reports. Anyone coming or going has to pass this roadblock, set up as just one more measure to keep this community safe. But the death toll still continues to climb. There's a definite feeling of loss and uh, that's uh, compounded by um, uh, the recent death bringing the total to four. Kalmucha tribes went from just two cases of the virus on New Year's Day to 230 as of Monday this week. That despite a shelter-in-place order that's been in effect since early January. Making matters worse, as news of the outbreak spread, members were subject to racism and discrimination. I believe that we worked really hard as a community to rise above that, um, to address that, and then to move forward standing together, supporting each other. Part of that is the immunization plan. One, two, three. 661 doses have already been administered. But news of a delay in the second round of vaccine that was expected to be rolled out this week is now adding to anxieties. I know that uh, First Nations Health Authority is working with the nations and with uh, Island Health to make sure that not only um, are we providing second doses to those who need it now that we have vaccine, um, but that we're able to use immunization to help manage this very challenging and tragic outbreak. Another 661 doses are set to arrive on Wednesday, but it will be another couple of weeks before those eligible can receive them. It's frustration that just adds to the, the stress that already exists. And it's just managing uh, people's uh, sensibilities around that time frame. And uh, we'll be rolling out uh, the, those vaccines the week of March 8th. With 4,900 members living on and off reserve, there will still be a long way to go after that. The shelter-in-place order remains in effect until at least March 5th. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
Surrey teachers rallied today in support of students and staff affected by COVID-19 variant exposures at local schools. Dozens of teachers and support workers dressed in red at a call Woodward Hill Elementary started the day with a march of solidarity. The school is one of seven in the Fraser Valley to confirm cases of a more transmissible variant of COVID-19. The physically distanced walk drawing attention to concerns about pandemic safety measures inside BC classrooms. We are all in this together. Whether you're a teacher or administrator or support staff, everyone's working with students. We all, we're all committed to keeping the school running and making sure we still have in-class opportunities for students. And that's why we want to have it safer. We don't want any more schools to have to shut down. The province says safety plans in schools remain strong, but teachers want local districts to have more power to enhance safety measures as needed. Angry anti-maskers continue to make life miserable for staff at restaurants and shops with behavior that's often caught on camera. As the restrictions continue to drag on and pandemic fatigue takes its toll, Sarah McDonald shows us how these misguided activists seem to be emboldened. In a time when we're all being urged to be kind. Somebody film this, please. It seems the pandemic and the public health restrictions that come with it have brought out the worst in some of us. You guys aren't the police. You're nothing. When uh, police arrived, uh, the staff had already placed someone uh, somewhat under arrest and uh, we took over from there. This customer, who allegedly turns aggressive and violent towards staff after being asked to simply wear a mask inside this Canadian tire in Burnaby Monday, now at the centre of an assault investigation. We all have rights, including the store, so the store has a right to, uh, to ask you to leave. But how much power do private businesses and their employees actually have when it comes to dealing with ill-informed and abusive activists? All too often looking to make a statement by targeting low-wage workers, like at this Tri-Cities restaurant on Monday. This is an empty restaurant. You guys work for tips. Watch as these young workers are berated by protesters, all of them apparently suddenly customers with medical exemptions, who seem to think the province is on their side. This is the order from Mike Farnsworth, whose office is right there. Absolutely not. These people know what they're doing is wrong. They need to wear a mask in a public place. No employee should be subject to any form of abuse. So what exactly should you do if you find yourself in a situation like this? I'm being refused service in this shop where I spent thousands of dollars. Legal experts say the law almost always sides with the citizens who follow it. At this point, the constitutional validity of these laws has yet to be tested. And so anybody who's trying to make an argument about not wearing a mask for that reason is probably going down a precarious path. Because while businesses and employees have a right to feel safe, they also have an obligation to comply with public health orders. Even if people like this feel they don't. Sarah McDonald, Global News. First responders say Tiger Woods was lucky to survive a crash that crushed his legs. L.A. sheriffs say Woods was driving at a high rate of speed when his vehicle left the road and crashed into a stand of trees. We have the latest on his injuries next on the News Hour. Scammers out to steal your money. Why tax season is time to be very wary. And tips to protect yourself coming up on the News Hour. Also, the BC camera company responsible for those stunning images from Mars later. 
Right now, though, Tiger Woods has a long recovery ahead after suffering traumatic leg injuries in a single vehicle rollover crash in California. It happened this morning, sending the golf great to hospital where he underwent hours of surgery. First responders on the scene say he's lucky to be alive. When police arrived at the accident scene, Tiger Woods was alert. I asked him if he knew where he was, um, what time of day, just to make sure he was oriented. Um, he seemed as though he was lucid and, uh, and calm. However, after the fire department extracted him from the SUV, he clearly had suffered leg injuries. Unfortunately, Mr. Woods was not able to stand under his own power. Um, our partners at LA County Fire were able to uh, extricate him from the vehicle and they put him onto a backboard. He was then taken to Harbor UCLA Medical Center to undergo surgery for those leg injuries. It was my understanding that he had uh, serious injuries to both legs. Um, there were no other life, uh, life uh, endangering uh, injuries to my knowledge. Tiger has been rehabbing from a fifth back operation he had in December and was in Los Angeles as the host of the Genesis tournament this past weekend. And he spoke Sunday about his recovery. Um, still in the gym, still doing um, the mundane stuff that you have to do for rehab. Tiger Woods has had incidents with vehicles in the past. He crashed his SUV near his home in 2009, suffering minor injuries, and was arrested in 2017 in Florida when he was found in his car pulled over under the influence of painkillers and sleeping pills. As for this accident, police don't feel there was any kind of impairment involved. No evidence of impairment, so subsequent to that, we're not going to make any, uh, there was no effort to draw um, blood, for example, at, at the hospital. The stretch of road that Tiger Woods crashed on is known to be treacherous. That specific stretch of roadway is one of our, our trouble spots. Our locals in Rancho Palos Verdes and Rolling Hills Estates know that it's a hot spot for traffic collisions as well as speed. The nature of his vehicle, the fact that he was wearing a seatbelt, um, I, I would say that it greatly increased the likelihood that it saved his life. Sports director Squire Barnes joins us now with more on this. Squire, how many comebacks does a guy have in him? This is just the latest setback for Tiger, who's trying to get his career back on track yet again. Yes, throughout his career, both on the golf course and off, we have seen Tiger Woods get himself out of difficult situations mentally and physically. But at the age of 45, and he is already coming off, as we mentioned, another back operation. And I can only imagine what that did for his back today. But couple that with the leg injuries. We don't know the severity of those yet, but I'm going to guess it's going to take a while. This will probably be the biggest comeback Tiger Woods is going to have to make. And I'm going to say he will try to make a comeback. There's something about elite athletes. They like to go out on their own terms, and I can't imagine Tiger Woods not trying to come back from this. We will see and uh, hopefully get more information about the extent of his injuries tomorrow. Squire, thanks very much. I know you've got a lot more coming up in sports as well. Thank you. Coming up, the plan to bring bike lanes back to Stanley Park. Last year when we had the, uh, the changes to the transportation plan, a lot of the business suffered greatly. Who's making the proposal and how businesses are reacting? But first, a major change to liquor policy that might just save some pubs and restaurants from going under. 
Traffic is busy but steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge. Just seeing pockets of volume in both directions on McBride on the new Westminster side. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $65 million plus an estimated 10 max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Government answering a prayer from the hard-hit hospitality industry today. Bars and restaurants will now have permanent access to wholesale liquor prices. As Aaron MacArthur reports, that change provides a little bit of stability and more profitability for pubs and eateries struggling to survive. What passes for a lunch rush at the Brass Fish? The drinks are still getting poured, and there are a few tables eating. But now there is some optimism here. Liquor pricing should mean more stability long term. Yeah, we've been asking for this change since uh, wholesale pricing was implemented in 2015. In June, the B.C. government announced temporary measures to reduce costs in the hospitality sector. Instead of having to pay what retail customers pay, restaurants and bars could pay wholesale prices for booze. That measure set to expire in March. The government making the change permanent. According to the industry, it's one major step, but more needs to be done. I think the ability for restaurants and pubs to sell alcohol with takeout or delivery meals is another temporary permission that needs to be made permanent. Today's announcement was a $71 million investment uh, in, the, uh, in the industry. We're looking forward to working with them uh, to implement other changes that are going to help. Restaurants have been paying up to 25% less for liquor now for about eight months. Consumers shouldn't expect to see much price difference. This move primarily aimed at keeping businesses afloat. For the global restaurant group, the difference has meant keeping people employed. It's a good news in a, in a time where good news is not that often. Most of the restaurants in Vancouver right now, they are uh, running on a, uh, in, in the red. One small cost is being reduced, but the hospitality sector is facing another tourist season with little to no regular traffic. Good news can be a little hard to swallow. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Another temporary pandemic measure could be coming back permanently, the controversial Stanley Park bike lane. A survey found widespread public approval of the lanes and a motion on their future will be put before the Vancouver Park Board next month. But as Grace Key reports, critics of the bike lanes, including park business operators and advocates for the disabled, want to keep the status quo. The tea house in Stanley Park is set to reopen this spring after slow business forced it to temporarily shut down in January. But news of a motion in the works for a temporary bike lane has the restaurant rethinking its plans, especially in light of last year's lane closure. So it's very hard for us to imagine reopening under the same setup that we were under last year because it affected us so badly. In a tweet, Park Board Chair Camille Dumont says he submitted a notice of motion dealing with a temporary bike lane on Park Drive. When asked for details, he said he wasn't comfortable speaking about it until the agenda becomes public, likely on Monday. Commissioner John Cooper says the motion raises alarms. Last year when we had the, uh, the changes to the transportation plan, a lot of the business suffered greatly and a lot of people who had uh, mobility issues we're having problem accessing the park. And I know that people like to say that there's already access for everyone, but I'm talking about easy access for everyone. It was a heated issue. Individuals with disabilities and businesses spoke out. 
At the beginning of the pandemic, the park was closed to traffic. In the summer, one lane was open to cars, the other to cyclists, with bikes still not allowed on the seawall due to physical distancing. Car-free park! More than 50% of the parking spots were taken away at the Tea House restaurant. They were already hit hard by the pandemic, and the bike lanes made matters worse. From the beginning, we've made multiple attempts to um, be involved in the planning process, to reach out to them, to have meetings, and we've been completely stonewalled and have been left with no information, especially at this point. We're waiting for a report back from staff, and I think that's the prudent way to do it, rather than I think this, I don't know what's in there, but it seems to be jumping the gun. Dumont says the motion will be up for a vote at the next meeting, and he looks forward to the discussion and debate. Grace Key, Global News. Tax season is underway, and that means fraudsters will be hard at work. From impersonating CRA agents to phony emails, you have to be very wary. The schemes all try to steal your money or your personal information. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with tips on how you can protect yourself. And Thanks, Sophie. The Better Business Bureau is sounding the alarm tonight, telling consumers to watch out for online tax scams. With the CRA encouraging Canadians to file taxes online early this season to avoid delays, the BBB is concerned filing online also widens the number of scams being used to target Canadians, especially during the pandemic. It's asking taxpayers to keep an eye out for phishing emails, fake CRA websites, text messages, and fraudulent direct messages on social media. Also watch for fake CRA links and calls. Scammers often claim they are issuing a tax refund and request your personal information, or they say you owe money and then threaten you with a fine or that you'll be arrested if you don't comply. The BBB is reminding people that the CRA does not initiate contact with taxpayers asking for personal information by email, text message, or social media. CRA emails will never ask for financial information, PIN numbers, passwords, or similar access information for credit cards. In addition, the BBB is asking people to only deal with trustworthy tax preparation services and to make sure you're accessing the real CRA website when filing your taxes. Also, always use unique passwords for your CRA and online bank accounts and create a PIN, a personal identification number, once you log on to the CRA website. Give yourself as much protection as possible. You're thinking about the fact that this is concerning your money and this is concerning your private information. So any form of protection that you can provide to your account is going to be extremely crucial. As it relates to your PIN number, what it does is it gives... The, the representative at, at the CRA, when you do reach out to them, an opportunity or at least a way to be able to perfectly identify that you are the person that's calling. And you can also sign up for email notifications from the CRA. The service notifies taxpayers by email if their address or direct deposit information has been changed. It's important to do this because these notifications may indicate potential fraud activity. If you have been scammed, contact your local police. And if you believe your social insurance number has been stolen, contact Service Canada. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Still ahead, the fight for justice after a traumatic beating. Christopher Tuckery, what you did to Jesse, my son, will never be forgiven. The man responsible for her son's injuries ordered to pay a massive settlement, but they wonder if they'll see any of it. Also ahead, how a local beer is helping get treatment for a baby with a rare form of cancer. 
is out and traffic is steady over here at the Massey Tunnel in both directions. And good news, a little further north on Highway 99, clear to stall at the Oak Street Bridge. For 47 years, Carmack Collision and Auto Glass has provided an unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Carmack in your neighborhood. Visit Carmack.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A two-day sentencing hearing is underway in Penticton for a man convicted in a brutal assault on a stranger two years ago. 23-year-old Thomas Kruger Allen pleaded guilty to aggravated assault in the May 2019 attack on Brad Eliason. Court heard Kruger Allen was, harass was harassing two women near a bonfire on Okanagan Lake Beach when Eliason returned with firewood and received a one-punch to the face. He suffered a traumatic brain injury. Crown is seeking an up to six-year prison term for his attacker. Eliason says he has since lost everything, including his wife, who left him. He has also been unable to return to work. The mother of a BC teen who suffered life-altering injuries in a brutal 2016 beating is speaking out tonight. She says a civil judgment awarding the family millions in damages is not the end of their fight for justice for their son. Catherine Urquhart reports. Susan Simpson continues to be a fierce advocate for her son, Jesse, who was attacked nearly five years ago and left with catastrophic brain damage. I will continue to fight for Jesse. In 2016, the then 18-year-old was savagely beaten with a baseball bat. He had become separated from friends celebrating the end of the school year and had wandered onto Christopher Tykreeb's property. I couldn't believe that somebody would do that to him. Like... I mean, Jesse's never had a mean bone in his body. Ty Creeb was found guilty of aggravated assault and sentenced to seven years in prison. Recently, in a civil trial, he was ordered to pay the family nearly $7 million. Speaking for the first time since that judgment, his mother says she isn't sure they'll ever see any money, noting no amount could ever be enough. I see my son, 23 years old, in a nursing home. He doesn't remember what he had for breakfast. Jesse's short-term memory affected for life. Susan Simpson is not giving up. There is more civil action pending as the family challenges the sale of Ty Creeb's house, which he sold to his parents for $1 shortly after he attacked Jesse Simpson. Christopher Ty Creep, what you did to Jesse, my son, will never be forgiven. For now, the family is focused on completing renovations to their house, so they're able to bring Jesse home. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A North Vancouver brewery is stepping up to help the family of a newborn who has one of the most rare forms of cancer in the world. Linda Aylesworth has the story of the huge challenges facing the family of little Alejo. Our biggest seller right now. Wow, that's amazing. Felipe and Liam have been friends since way before they were old enough to enjoy a beer together. We grew up together. Uh, he went to West Van High, I went to Rockridge. They'd do anything for one another. Fortunately, that hasn't been necessary until now. Last month, Felipe became an uncle. Sure. Baby Alejo seemed perfectly healthy at first, but then... About a week in, uh, my brother started noticing some lumps on his leg and the back of his fingers. Uh, so they decided to go in and get a biopsy. It came back that it was a malignant rhabdoid tumor. Rhabdoid tumors are rare, and when they do occur, it's most often in infants and toddlers. Rhabdoid tumor affects about 20 children a year, but the presentation and where the tumors are in Alejo's body is so rare that it's only the 10th case in that literature that it's been uh, presented that way. 
No one in Canada seems willing to attempt surgery. At just four weeks of age, Alejo is considered too small, too risky for such a procedure. But there is one place, Boston Children's Hospital. If uh, Alejo were to be accepted and admitted, uh, they require a $1 million U.S. deposit uh, just to start off with. I immediately reached out to Felipe to talk to him about the situation, and that's kind of where we came up with the idea to come out with a beer named after Alejo. So right now we're uh, canning the Alejo IPA. Liam, who's co-owner of North Point Brewing in North Vancouver, has already produced 2,500 cans of the special brew that are available in-house. The proceeds will go to the GoFundMe account that's been set up in Alejo's name. And if demand grows? We'll keep it going. We'll keep going until we've raised enough money to help out. It's humbling to ask for money, but um, if, if, you know, it's been a hard year for everyone, and I understand financially everyone's extremely tight, and um, if you can help in any way, that would be extremely grateful. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, Pink Shirt Day is tomorrow, and of course, like many other things this year, the campaign is going virtual because of the pandemic. That's right. This year's theme encourages us all to lift each other up, and you can show your support by picking up your own Pink Shirt Day t-shirt at London Drugs or at pinkshirtday.ca. There are also face masks available this year. Now, the social movement continues to reinforce how everyone can make a big difference and play a positive role in social change. All the money raised goes towards anti-bullying programs through the CKNW Kids Fund, of which I'm very proud to sit on the board. So thank you very much to all those of you who, ha- who helped. Now I know what I'm wearing tomorrow. Yeah, I'll be in <laughs> pink too. Up next, celebrating the life and legacy of Nelda Callender. So Nelda in itself, she's an old community center. How she touched so many lives in B.C.'s black community and beyond. Also coming up, the B.C. company making the latest Mars mission picture perfect. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Looking at the history of the black community in Vancouver would not be complete without looking at one of its true contemporary pioneers. Yes, Nalda Callender is someone everyone in the black community knows, and you're about to meet her through the people in the community that she's helped. Here's Michael Newman. Anyone here, Nalda. You don't have to say Nalda Callender. You just say Nalda. Nalda, originally from the island of Antigua, has been a fixture in Vancouver since she moved here from Montreal in 1980. But when she got here, she found no community that reflected her life and experience. In Montreal, there is so much that you could do, whether it would be sports, whether it be, you know, um, festivals. But the Black community was just, it was amazing. And so we left that, moved to Vancouver, and boom, there's nothing. Raising five children by herself did not leave Nalda much time, but she was determined to create a place of belonging for her family and others. Nalda began by helping establish the Vancouver chapter of the Congress of Black Women, and later was instrumental in creating the National Congress of Black Women Foundation in 1992. The organization hosted events that promoted pride and multicultural identity during Black History Month and holidays. The first year I went, there was, what, 60, 70 kids. I said, wow, there are many black kids in Vancouver. Then the second year I go, I see hundreds. This is 
incredible. Some of these kids don't even seen a black kid to play with at school. Also through the foundation, numerous programs were created to empower youth to attain higher education, support people affected by HIV AIDS, and provide assistance to new immigrants. People need food, they call Nalda. A passport, they go to Nalda. They want to open an account and they don't know what to do, they find Nalda. So Nalda in itself, she's an old community center. She also used her role with the foundation to push Canada Post to issue commemorative stamps during Black History Month since 2009. Through big acts or small, Nalda has selflessly enriched the lives of people from all walks of life. And it is impossible to know her and not have tasted her trademark Caribbean cooking. Her meals have been a source of comfort and healing for many. You have a family member ill. And around 7 o'clock when everything was finished, the surgery was finished, and we came out, there was Nalda sitting quietly. We didn't know she was going to be there. She was just sitting there. And she said, it will be okay. Now let's eat. (laughs) So that's Nalda. With too many distinguished awards and accomplishments to count during her over 30 years of dedicated service, Nalda Callender is truly a contemporary pioneer who has built her community from the bootstraps. Michael Newman, Global News. Still doing a lot of great work, and there's a lot of love in the community for her. That report was a surprise to her. So, Nalda, we know you're watching tonight. Thank you very much for everything you've ever done in the community. She might be scolding the people who were by. <laughs> right. How dare you? Uh, by the way, if you ever want some dinner gas for mm-hmm. the king, Chris ready. and I might be available. Uh, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at our weather forecast. Uh, more Wild West Coast weather, Christy. (laughs) Yes, it sure was today. I mean, we saw a ton of blue sky, but we also saw an incredible squall line roll through. It hit the Sunshine Coast first at around 11 o'clock this morning. Here's a look at some of the images. Intense hail, wet snow in some areas, uh, intense rain, gusty winds. We saw wind gusts up to about 60 kilometers an hour. Uh, The... uh, (laughs) The animals out there wondering what the heck was going on, but they seem to be faring uh, well. One of the hardest hit regions in Metro Vancouver was Coquitlam, where some areas actually looked like it had snowed uh, a fair amount. You can see here in this image. And look at some of the images as a squall line moved in. It's rare for us to get such an intense line of thunderstorms. And this is looking out from the Sunshine Coast. Thank you to Sandy for that. And this is looking from Abbotsford towards that. And when that squall I moved in. The, it got dark and it got intense for a brief period. Some areas said it only lasted for 10, 20 minutes and then that was about it and we were back to blue sky. Now what we're watching though is another system. So tomorrow's going to be pretty nice. We'll start off with some sunshine. We'll see a dry day but tomorrow night is still quite a question mark. We are expecting snow over higher elevation regions above 200 meters. Lower down it's still a bit of a question mark but I'm still anticipating at least some wet snow. So be aware of that. That's Wednesday night into Thursday morning, potentially affecting the commute to work on Thursday. In the meantime, enjoy your Wednesday. We're not going to see any squall lines tomorrow. It should be a fairly nice day until Wednesday night when that next system rolls in. Uh, And it should ease to just showers in the afternoon on Thursday. And one last look at this uh, incredible squall line. This is looking out from Davis Bay. Thank you to Ron Beeman for that one. It is pretty, pretty, it's literally a wall of rain moving in and hail and snow as well yikes all right 
incredible. Spectacular picture. Yeah, it's a really cool image. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, Squire joins us now. Uh, big, big news in the world of sports with Tiger, but uh, Canucks too, big story. Yes, the Canucks are playing tonight. They're going to have to face Leon Dreisaitl and his good friend Connor McDavid. When you play those two players, it's, a, it's definitely a test, but the rest of their team is playing well as, uh, on top of that. That is true. The Oilers are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games coming into Vancouver. All right. Also tonight, those incredible images from Mars made possible by the ingenuity of a B.C. company that went along for the ride. Hoping for the best from the Canucks. That sounds like what we say every night. That's every true. Season. Too often. <laughs> mm, hi, Squire. Well, optimism is nice. Mm -hmm. True. You people are glass half full, and that's wonderful. <laughs> what is the glass half full of? Emptiness. That's really up to you. That's really up to you. Um, <laughs> last sweet. night, yes, last night was not a good one for the Vancouver Canucks. They didn't play, but they watched Calgary upset Toronto. And as we've told you before many times, the uh, person who made the schedule this year gave the Canucks a lot of games early on, and that means everyone ahead of them in the Canadian division, or North division if you like, have played less games. Which means tonight's opponent Edmonton also has games in hand on Vancouver, two to be exact, and they are second in the North division. The uh, Canucks have played better of late, but they haven't been rewarded as much as they would like. Edmonton has also played better of late, and unlike the Canucks, they are getting wins. The Canucks have played arguably their best hockey of the season the last couple of weeks, but have little to show for their efforts. Just six points in their last half dozen games. Tonight, the host NHL leading scorer Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Oilers have won three straight and eight of their last ten to sit second in the division. It looks like they, they're feeling good about themselves and their game, which they should be. And... Uh, you know, momentum's a funny thing, uh, and we're going to have to bring, we're going to have to be sharp again. I, I say that a lot, but, uh, you know, the division we're in, you, you've got a tough test every night. Connor McDavid's 12 goals and 37 points are tops in the National Hockey League. Teammate Leon Dreisaitl, seven back of McDavid for the NHL scoring lead. But this year, the Oilers appear to be more than just the McDavid-Dreisaitl one-two punch. On the blue line, Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry sit top three in scoring by defensemen. They're 16 points, one back of Victor Hedman and five back of Quinn Hughes, who continues to lead all defensemen in National Hockey League scoring. You like that your team's playing well, you like that confidence, but I will say confidence is earned, and it, uh, if you don't go out and earn it, that confidence can go away in a hurry. There's, there's always a narrative of, you know, Connor and Leon, if they don't play well, then we don't win. But we don't think like that in here. It's, it's our whole team plays well, and we get a good team win. Don't expect to see any lineup changes tonight from the Vancouver Canucks. Travis Green likes the way that his team has played of late. Only change coming in goal will be Thatcher Demko, who starts versus the Oilers. Yeah, I mean, I think our group is in a good state of mind. Um, you know, I think it's unfortunate that we've only come out of the last six games with six points. Uh, but I do like you know, where they've, where they've come to from where they were in that stretch of games, the five games in particular before the, the last Toronto game. From Rogers Arena, Jay Janor, Global Sports. 
Now we've heard a, a recent report here about Tiger Woods' injuries. Uh, one source says a shattered ankle and compound fractures of the legs. Now, when it comes to Tiger Woods, every professional golfer out there has the deepest respect for him because his ability to transcend the game itself brought in more money and interest to golf than ever before. And even though he's not played as many tournaments as some of the other pros, he does have a lot of friends on the PGA Tour who are obviously deeply concerned for him in the wake of this traffic accident. Yeah, I mean, I'm sick to my stomach. Uh... You know, it hurts to see one of your, I mean, now my closest friends, um, you know, get in, a, in an accident. And, man, I just hope he's all right. Um, just, uh, just worry for his kids, you know. I'm sure they're struggling. Champions League action, Lazio and Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich had an easy time in this one. If you're going to give the ball away to Robert Lewandowski like that, it will be an easy time for Bayern Munich. That made it 1-0. 4-1 was the final. This should have been Alfonso Davies' goal. This is where the ball was going, but it turned out to be an own goal. 4-1 for Bayern Munich over Lazio. And Chelsea against Luis Suarez and Atletico Madrid. This one goal in this game, spectacular. Olivier Giroud over the head. They thought he might be offside, but he wasn't. And that is a 1-0 final and an impressive and fantastic 1-0 final for Chelsea. At Scotty's tournament, uh, BC is 2-2 two two in Pool B. Quebec leads Pool B at 4-1. On the Pool A side, Canada and Ontario are both unbeaten at 5-0. I didn't hear anything you said after that bicycle kick, but thanks very much, Squire. <laughs> I can say it again if you no, like. No, it's fine. It's fine. All right, let's check in with Andrew for a look ahead at, uh, to Global News at 11. And thanks, Sophia. A young woman is without her luxury ride. Thanks to Surrey's RCMP gang enforcement team, this Alfa Romeo is what police seized while patrolling the area of a recent targeted gang shooting in Newton. Officers also seizing drugs and cash. And how comfortable would you be attending a concert or sporting event without a vaccine? We'll have the results of a new survey looking into British Columbians' comfort level when it comes to being around large crowds. Those stories and Canucks highlights tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. Thank you, Anne. All right, your old flip phone camera had more megapixels, but we'll show you how the cameras from BC captured incredible images from Mars next. watched any of that spectacular video of the Perseverance Mars rover touching down on the red planet, you can thank a Richmond company. That's right. Ted Chernecki talked to the people whose cameras captured those perfect images in the most extreme conditions. And liftoff. There was more than the $2.7 billion riding on last summer's launch of the Perseverance rover to Mars. There was the reputation and opportunity for a Richmond, B.C. company that designed and built six tiny cameras. These are the cameras which were on the entry, descent and landing module for the Mars Perseverance uh, project. Uh, one of them is 1.3 megapixel camera, the other one is 3.2 megapixel camera. Say what? Your cell phone camera has way more pixels. They wanted something that can capture images really, really fast at a very high frame rate. And they want it in a certain resolution that when they slow it down, they don't lose the information. 
And they got it in a glorious blaze of color. Those cameras were flawless as they captured the dramatic deployment of that parachute at 1,600 kilometers an hour. Sky Team Maneuver has started. And the rover itself dangling below the descent vehicle and the camera below it watching the Martian dust blow. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars. Absolutely excited. I was jumping. A lot of my colleagues were too. There are moments in life that kind of defines you. As fun as it is to actually see a landing on Mars, those cameras provided a much more important technical role. That parachute was colored red and white for a reason. There was the pattern uh, which they were looking at in order to identify how the parachute was opening, what was the flow of the air, uh, the direction of rover as it was descending down. Floor systems didn't really modify their industrial cameras in any way. They're already designed to be used in extreme environments 24-7. But none of them had ever been tested like this, in near absolute zero, hitting the Martian atmosphere at 18,000 kilometers an hour. Ted Chernaki, Global News. And those cameras can post on Instagram as well, by the way. <laughs> That's right. No, they can't. Total, I don't know. <laughs> total bullseye for those guys. Okay, uh, final word on weather before we go, Christy. It's starting to get pretty cold out here. We tend to lose heat when we don't have cloud cover. So minus one tonight, dry day tomorrow, but watch for snow tomorrow night and tune back in tomorrow. Good night for stargazing, maybe. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.